Last week, we did a little two-part series that I'm going to finish today, talking about good success. You remember God told Joshua, hey, Josh, if you'll just do what I say, and if you'll say what I say, let my word be in your mouth, on your lips, no matter what the circumstances are, I'll cause you to prosper and have good success. One, one elephant I want to get out of the room. God promises believers, may you prosper and be in health. Prosperity has been tainted by the abuse of a few. Never throw out the truth with abuse. Just get rid of the abuse, that's all. You don't throw the baby out with the bath wash. So uh, prosperity does not mean you're going to get a Lamborghini and a 10,000 square foot home and a jet. Now, some might get that. You might need it because of God's calling on your life and what you may be involved in. But in general, it means to prosper. You're in health. Your kids are doing okay. You got a roof over your head, a car to drive. You got a job. You've got some uh, uh, food to buy. You can take care of yourself and then have a little left over. That's prosperity. If you throw food away, I'd say you got abundance. Anybody throw food away? Yeah, thank you. There are people who would be glad to eat your scraps. So God wants to prosper me, to have good success in life. And I, I don't know why that has become so hard for people to wrap their head around because of the abuse of a few people. But it's not a bad word. It's a God word. It's a Bible word. So there are two options in God's word, poverty or prosperity. How many of you would rather choose prosperity? Thank you very much. Yeah. You know, money can bring out the worst in people. Bill was dating Mary. Mary was dating Harry. And Bill said to Mary, you know, sweetheart, I don't have a five-bedroom home like Harry. I don't have a Mercedes like Harry. I don't have a yacht or a jet like Harry. But I love you, Mary. And Mary said, I love you too, Bill, but can you tell me a little more about Harry? <laughs> God has a plan for your prosperity that's well established in Scripture. I can testify that by living by economic principles in God's Word for over 54 years, they're proven, they work. God is faithful. Look with me in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 through 13. And he writes, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. See, I'm not an owner. One of the first lessons a new believer needs to learn, you're a steward. God owns the earth and all that's in it, Psalms 24. Satan does not own the earth, all right? He only has the rights we allow him to have. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt, to lift up, and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Notice all riches and honor come from God. So let's begin with this thought. God's provision are contained in his promises. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, he says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these promises he has given us, these great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate 
in his divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Three points he, he, he brings here in that verse. Number one, grace and peace are multiplied to you. Everything comes to a believer from God is on the multiplication system, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Second, God's power has given you all things. When you comprehend that, it changes your whole perspective about what's available to me. And three, how do I get it? Through his great and precious promises. Everything that God has in the pantry of heaven is available to those who know how to receive the promises of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. So your relationship to heaven, spiritually and materially, produces blessings that are always multiplied when it comes from God. And we're talking about a harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. I wish Bank of America offered that, don't you? Or your IRA or your 401k. God's plan's a lot better. So that's multiplication. However, in securing a harvest, you can't plant, plant nothing and go home and pray for an abundant harvest. Listen to the amazing message of verse 3. It says, God has already given you all things that pertain unto life. That verse says that everything you and I need in your life and, and our living, God has already made it available to you through his promises, through his word. Now, unfortunately, a lot of believers aren't receiving it. I mean, let me say for years, uh, I was saved in a, a little church, but there were a lot of promises in God's word I didn't know, wasn't claiming, and didn't have, but they were legally mine. And it was later I learned, hey, that's a privilege of my covenant with Jesus. I need to claim that. And little by little, I did. We did. Have you ever discovered something or found that you had a benefit you didn't know you had? Well, Joe Namath does. He says, he says on Joe Namath, Medicare. Medicare. Does anybody know who Joe Namath is? Famous quarterback? Okay. Hall of Famer. Joe said, you may have benefits with your Social Security you don't know about. Woo, everybody runs to the phone. I got to get my benefits. I'm entitled to them. Well, in God's word, you're entitled to a lot of benefits if you're his child. And a lot of them aren't receiving it and don't even know they have it or don't believe it. And I want you to get them. All right. If I offer you a gift, you have to receive it before it's worth anything to you. If I give you a check, it's no good until you cash it. Well, prosperity has been given to us through the promises of God. There are over 3,000 promises in God's word that are available to you and I and to your children, your children's children for your marriage, your business, your well-being, for your emotional health, physical health, and your financial health. 3,000 promises God says he will do for you if you simply obey him. Now, here's just a couple. I just mentioned three in the brevity of time. Joshua 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That means you are to confess the promise of God. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and you shall have good success. That sound pretty good? Don't need the government? Don't need a rich uncle? God says, I'll arrange it if you will obey it. Psalms 1, verse 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed is the man or woman that walks not in the advice or the opinion or the counsel of the ungodly, nor does he stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. His leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That sounded good to me. Deuteronomy 28, last one. 
He says, if you will obey my word and keep my covenant and commandments, I will bless you. Going out, coming in, all these blessings will overtake you and run you down. So God is your father if you're a believer. He owns and controls everything, and he wants to make it available through the promises of his word. The promises are our inheritance. The new covenant is Christ's last will and testament. It is a legal contract. Now, if you had somebody leave you a will, you have a right as a beneficiary of that will to claim that that benefit, correct? Well, heck, yeah, it's not hard. Yeah, so he went to the cross to purchase everything that Adam lost in the fall so you and I could have it. You know, and I went to a church that tried to talk me out of everything. The only thing they wouldn't talk me out of was going to heaven. But they would talk, oh, that's for the millennium. Oh, that's for anything but today. They wouldn't let me have anything for today. So all we look forward to was just build me a cabin in glory and I'll fly away. Nonsense. God wants to bring a little heaven on earth. So when God brought Israel out of Egypt, they had barely enough. They were slaves. Then they went into the desert where they had just enough. And then into the promised land, they had more than enough. That's called abundance. And I asked you before, how many of you throw away food? That's more than enough. In Joshua 1 verse 2, he says, go over all this people. Nobody got left behind. I hope you heard that. All two or three million people crossed over into the land of abundance. No special group went. Everybody got to go. Your promises from God don't relate to your race, nationality, or how broke your father was, or your family was, or whether you're a divorced single mother, are you from a minority background. If you have been adopted into the family of God, this is your last will and testament. These are your benefits for God's sake. Stop letting a bunch of know-nothing, doubting people who want to live like mosquitoes talk you out of what God has promised you. And I, I, I can't believe how small we lived as believers for so many years before we learned better from better teachers about what God promises. Now, you can claim your inheritance in the promises of God. The Word of God is yours if you're a believer. Read it, claim it, obey it, and prosper as God brought Israel out of poverty from Egypt into the promised land, God wants to bring the church, his redeemed in the new covenant, into the land of promises. And what the promised land was to Israel, that was dirt and property. God's word and promises is our land flowing with milk and honey. But I have to walk in his word to receive what he promised. Just do it. The pro- not, that's before Nike. Just do it. Don't be a hearer only, but be a doer of God's Word. I don't doubt you hear and know, but it doesn't work until you do it. The promises are the expression of God's will. The will of God and the mind of God are exactly the same. If you're thinking, Rick, well, I don't know if it's the will of God to bless me. Come down here and let me slap you. Wake up and smell the coffee. What what are you reading? See, who are you listening to? God desires the best for you. My plans for you are good. They're not evil. To give you a hope and to a future. To prosper you and not to do you evil. Now, why do I need to pray about that when God makes a declaration? My plan is to do you well. I'm going to believe that. Simple. You know, God promises to bless his children beginning in Genesis 1. And he doesn't stop until the last period in the book of Revelation. 
In 1 John 5, verse 14, he says, This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that means if you can find it in God's word, he wants you to have it. He hears us, and we know that if he hears us, we know we have the petitions that we ask of him. That verse means when you know the content of what's available to you in God's word, you ask God for it, and you receive it. Ask, and you, sh- you have not because you ask not, James tells us. He's, he says, duh, <laughs> ask for it. You know, why are we so hesitant to ask? Ask. I would rather be guilty. I'd rather God say to me, hold on, Ricky. Calm down. You're asking for too much. That never happened. The trouble is, we settle for too little. I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. God says, go ahead, make my day, God says. Ask big. Ask big. God only rebuked Israel three different times because it was so small. He never rebuked them for asking for too much. When you have a God of unlimited power, authority, and might, why do you want to stay a pygmy? Why do you want to... Well, my mother, my daddy, my mother. I want to live better than my mom and daddy. They didn't, they did, they don't have a lifestyle that I want anything to do with. They didn't have a marriage that I want nothing to do with. I want to go higher. And I want my kids to learn what took me a lot of years to learn, learn it sooner and go way higher. Let's pass something on to our kids besides bills. Have you asked God for your inheritance? How many of you, if you had a rich father, would at least go to the reading of the will? Yeah, well, the Word of God is the will, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit is the administrator of that will. Mark 11, verse 24, therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you ask for when you pray, believe it, and you will receive them, and you will have them. So our God is a faithful God. He never breaks His word or promise, and we have over 3,000 promises. How many of them have you asked God for? See, all of God's promises are available to us through Jesus. Paul writes in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen to the glory of God. When my grandkids come over to my house, I say, welcome to the house of yes. You want chocolate on your cereal? Yes. You want an iPhone at four? Yes. You live in the house of no, but when you come to granddaddy's house, it's yes. God's a lot more gracious and generous than you are. I can tell you that. He makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. I think we need a new revelation of who Jesus is in the church. You got this old white bearded guy ready to stab you or throw a lightning bolt at you. He is gracious. He daily loads us with benefits. He's merciful. But all these promises are now available in Jesus. He's the channel. So are you in Christ? See, not church. Are you in Christ? See, God only assumes responsibility for members of his family. But you're not in the family of God until you receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, I thought we were all God's children. Now, that's cute, but that's not true. We're all God's creation. But I'm not his child until I receive Jesus as my Savior. I memorized John 1, 12 when I was a new Christian. As many as received him, Jesus, to them gave he power to become the children of God. So without Jesus, you're his creation, but you're not his child. He assumes responsibility for his children. 
Romans 4, verse 19 through 21, talking about Abraham. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Don't look down at yourself now. Since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what God promised. That's a promise God gave to Abraham. Now, when you're 100 years old and you're still hanging on to the promise of God, God will deliver. When you meet God's conditions, your conditions don't matter. That's good to know. See, when you have God's promise, go forward, take action. God will not fail you. Now, I want us to live bigger, bigger. I'm comfortable. That's the curse. Yeah, woe to him that is at ease in Zion. Your comfort zone will never produce a miracle. God wants you to grow till the day you die. And there's no finish line to growing and grace and knowledge. We ought to be getting smarter as we get older, not fatter. Smarter, smarter. Okay, sorry for that. When Moses was at the Red Sea, Pharaoh's armies behind approaching. It looked like a tragedy was about to happen. But he held up his rod as instructed, and he started walking out between the parted water. Israel walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. He had no doubt God was going to do what God said he would deliver them. And the Egyptian army was drowned and cut off. And let me say this. If you watch some of those channels on TV, I'm amazed at the links they will go to. Well, we, we believe that the Sea of Reeds only had six inches of water. And uh, due to a tidal wind that occurs once every 70 years, it blew back the water and they could walk over how does that drown an army? How does six inches of water drown an army in horses and chariots? Anything but admit a miracle. It was a miracle, okay? Well, let's go to the prophet Elijah. He's on Mount Carmel, and he's going to offer a sacrifice with 12 barrels of water. Now, here's the point of that story. It's not about the fire falling from heaven. It's about the water, and I'll tell you why. Israel had been in a drought, a recession, for three and a half years. Businesses were closed due to COVID. People were out of work by the millions. Airlines were going bankrupt. Tourism was at a standstill. Nations were closed. Everybody was quarantined. There was national starvation. And there were no crops. The cattle are dead or dying. And water was scarce. It was a drought, like San Antonio in August. It's precious. So Elijah and the prophets of Baal come to Mount Carmel as a theological shootout between the God of heaven and Jezebel's false prophets. And Jezebel's prophets shouted, screamed, cut themselves, and danced all day trying to get Baal to show up. Then Elijah steps up and pours 12 barrels of water on the same sacrifice. Why 12? Well, Israel had 12 tribes, so 12 barrels. Why water? because of the Bible principle. You reap what you sow. If you want apples, you plant apple seeds. If you want corn, you plant corn. If you want finances, you plant finances. If you want stronger biceps, you don't work on your leg. He's pouring water out like he owns all the water in the world in a national drought. And what happened? It started to rain all over the land because what he sowed, God sent down as a harvest to reap. Rain, water. 
See, when you want God to perform, you give him what you're looking for, and God will answer in kind. He says, give and it shall be given to you. It is whatever you sow. See, your circumstances don't have any bearing at all. Nothing is impossible to those that believe. Even God says, test me now. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and bless you with blessings you cannot contain. Now, there are two specific promises we all need to hear. Psalms 34, verse 9 and 10. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want or lack to those who fear him. Now, young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing ever. Wow, what a promise. Psalms 84, verse, verse 11, says, The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from him that walks uprightly. And notice the conditions. You fear the Lord. That is, you have an awesome respect for him. And those who seek the Lord, that means you've got a communication time with him in prayer. Don't wait till a crisis to talk to God. But if it takes a crisis to talk to the Lord, he'll keep you in a crisis because he wants to hear from you. And walk uprightly. David said, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't buy real estate when you're walking through the shadow of death. You keep walking. He lead, he's going to prepare a table before you, and he'll lead you through. He says, he will not withhold any good thing from you. Is the thing you're asking God for good for you? It is possible to get what you want and then be hurt or destroyed by it. I want what he wants for me. And if I'm wanting something that isn't good for me, hold it off, Lord. I'm asking for your grace and mercy. Revelation 5 verse 12 says, Worthy is the lamb that was slain, that's Jesus, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Now look at all those. Jesus bought for us on the cross everything Adam lost. And then he describes what, what Jesus has and what we have when we're in Christ. You got power. Power over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Behold, I give you power and authority to tread on serpents and all the power of the enemy, Jesus said. You have power over principalities and power. How can I bind? Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Whatever you bind on earth. I'll, why would he tell me that if I can't do it? And why don't Christians do it? We just become good losers. We take, for those scripture says, for we wrestle not, that's where we quit. We just don't wrestle at all. He says, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. You have an adversary, believer. He hates your guts. And he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you lay down like a throw rug, he'll stomp all over you. You've got to rise up and use the authority and promises that God gives you. And the enemy knows what you don't know, and he'll beat you over the head with what you don't know and steal from you. He says, you've got authority over sickness and disease. You have riches, just like Jesus, not just spiritual, that true, and material as well. The patriarchs were wealthy men and cattle, gold and sheep. Some religion. I thought, how come all the patriarchs bought camels with gold and silver and linen and fine cloth and brought them to get a girl? And they had jewelry and headbands and rings. And then we got some religious groups out there, and a woman's got to look like she's been run over by a truck to be holy. <laughs> I mean, dumb. Just dumb in there. No, no, the woman is the glory of the man. Well, men, step up. 
Make sure your woman looks like the glory, not a train wreck. Bless her. Decorate her. Nip and tuck. Whatever you need to do. I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, what? It, it is true. What I'm saying is they, they, they doll their girls up. And you've got to be in some of these religious groups to just doll them down. Oh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just don't get it. You, you have wisdom. If you're in a crisis and you don't have a solution, ask the Lord for wisdom. James 1, verse 5, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and will not withhold. That's clear scripture. Now, that wisdom may come through something you hear, something you see, something you read. Maybe it could come to you through uh, uh, just a, a casual comment in church, but he will get it to you. You will hear it. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. And honor, he says. Boy, that's missing in the church. You know, give honor to whom honor is due. God says to you to honor your mother. Let me spend some time here. Honor your mother and father so that you, 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 you may live long on the earth and life will go well with you. Does that sound good to you? That is the only commandment with promise. Honor your father. They're your life source. It didn't say agree with them. It says to honor them. The Bible says honor the Lord with your substance, stuff, and the fruit, first fruit of your increase. Honor. Honor is substantive. Respect can be private, and I never know. You could respect me or respect somebody and never tell them. But honor is public, and it's substance. Always honor the Lord with your substance. Okay? And so if my father, which was a train wreck for a husband, uh, he had some good qualities. They're just fewer than the bad ones. And he passed away this year at, at 101, I think married five times. I, I wouldn't want to go to a marriage seminar with my daddy. But I tell you what, if he was around, needed something, or came to our home, and he has, he got the best of everything. Why? Honor principle. I want to live long on this earth, and I want life to go well with me. Okay, there's a natural family, father and mother, and there's a spiritual family. Summit, or any other church in this city, is a spiritual family. Cindy and I came here 34 years ago, and we birthed it. So that's the mother of the house, and I'm the father of this house spiritually. Honor your father and mother. We have spiritual moms out here, but not, not of the house. In other words, who's the spiritual mom of the house? Who birthed it? Well, she did. The others are spiritual moms, their life story, and a few spiritual dads in here. Great people. But honor the ones who birthed the family. God says life will go well with you. I would say, Percy, uh, having preached in many African-American churches at home and around the world, they've got their honor of spiritual authority and, and father in the church is beyond anything uh, Protestants, uh, uh, Caucasians don't even care. Do not even care. Buckner Fanny was 40 years the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church downtown. He retired 40 years. He got a little silver tray. We bought him a new car from this church, and we honored him Father's Day, Christmas. We put, I got in with Bjorn's. They, he, he gave us a good deal. We went in together, got him a nice LED television for their old house. We took care of that old man to the day he died. Honor. We honored Archbishop Flores, who was over the Catholic, remember that, Percy? 
We brought, he, he was retiring after all the years serving our city. The Bible says give honor to whom honor is due. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody or like everything. It wasn't a theological dedication. It was just honoring faithful service to our city and to the poor for all those years. And we, we gave a big check, uh, thousands of dollars, to Women's Battered Shelter, which is his favorite charity. So in his name, we gave that to him. We had him on stage just to say hi. To, and then I preached afterwards. We gave him a liver briefcase, a Mont Blanc pen to send him off. And I got emails and letters from Catholic priests all over the state. I didn't get one letter from a white Protestant priest. <laughs> They don't understand honor. They think if I honor anybody, it's got to be somebody I agree with completely. They don't understand honor. A teacher teaches 50 years and retires. That woman ought to be honored. Give honor to whom honor is due. So you treat the elderly. You treat the elders and you treat those. And Bible even goes so far as to say elders that rule well over a long period of time teaching and preaching are worthy of double pay, double honor. Do we practice that? We don't understand that God says, if you'll do that, I'll pull you out of a ditch. I'll bless you honor. I'm going to do a thing on that soon because it's just probably not known that much. about. If we have government officials, we are to honor them. Paul called out the ruler of the people, a spiritual ruler. And he made a slanderous remark. God will slap you, you whited sepulcher. He was the high priest. And Paul said, he got rebuked. Paul got rebuked. He said, I didn't know that was the high priest for it is written, thou shalt not speak evil to the ruler of thy people. And he repented. He didn't agree with him, but he couldn't bring a slandering accusation against an authority. Well, Americans do it all the time, no matter what party you're in. God says, no, no, I'll give honor. I don't have to give agreement with a government official that were to visit or come. Certainly would show honor. That's biblical. It brings blessing on you. Good life. Live long on the earth. Life go well with you. Capture that. Well, I don't know if we can afford it. You ain't never going to afford it until you do it. I'm just saying, do it. Okay. If your kids call you old man or old lady, you need to dust their rear end until they have a revelation about who you are. And if you've got a teenage son and he's mistreating his mother, you need to have a real harsh man talk to say, son, that's your mom, but that's my wife. You don't talk to my wife that way. And that needs to be done soon when that occurs. That's a, that's a biblical command. And glory, that's the reflection of God's radiance. Blessings, you were born to be blessed from Genesis to Revelation. It's God's will to bless you out of your socks. Just meet his conditions. The doctrine of Propini, a Roman Catholic theologian from the Middle Ages, presented for the first time poverty as holy. That is dead wrong. Prove that in the Bible. Poverty is always presented in your Bible as a curse, not a blessing. And it's associated with disobedience. If poverty was a blessing, why do we have the higher murder and crime rates in the poorest section of town instead of revival? Well, I guess because I never thought about it. That's the problem. We never think about anything. We just shoot our mouth off with no scripture at all. No, poverty is not good for anybody. And God says, I pray that you might prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. That doesn't mean I'm going to have a Lamborghini. It means I'm going to have my needs all met and some left over. I'm going to have abundance. I'm going to do well in my job. I may get a promotion, may get some benefits, but it's going to go well with me. One chronicle, you know people, do you know families that just have drama? 
It's like that whole family is nothing but drama every week. God says, you're not going to live like that if you'll do what I say. You'll have moments of, of, of inconvenience, of course, but you're not going to have that as a lifestyle. It's not going to just pursue you. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12. Both riches and honor come from God, and you, Lord, reign over all. And in your hand is power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. God is the ultimate source of riches and honor, and he designed it to give it to the righteous. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, for you shall remember the Lord your God, it is he who gives you power to obtain wealth. See, a man who couldn't sign his name, he wanted to become a janitor in a high school, but because he couldn't sign his name, he became a salesman. He was a good salesman, a cigar salesman, and he franchised himself from city to city. He became extremely wealthy. He was invited back to the high school where the principal had rejected him as janitor because he couldn't sign his name. Well, he was going to speak to the student body on the power of success. And as they were walking to the auditorium, the principal said, Joe, just think what could have happened to you if you'd been able to sign your name. And the salesman said, yeah, I'd be janitor right here in the school. <laughs> Folks, you don't have to have a PhD from Harvard to make a great living. All you have to do is obey the Lord, serve him. He will open the heaven's windows and bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Obedience brings prosperity. Deuteronomy 28, first four verses. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow his commandments that I'm giving you today, the Lord God will set you on high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb, your children will be blessed. And the crops of your land and young and livestock and calves of your herds and lambs of your flocks will be blessed. How? By obedience. I want to pass a great inheritance on to my kids. No, I can't give them what Bill Gates could give or Warren Buffett could give, but I can give them the favor of God. I can pass on God's favor, God's grace to give them a head start in life. Are you thinking about your, your children and your children's children? God promises to bless them. Jer By the way, David had some nasty kids in his seed line. Some of them were so bad, God was upset and angry. They were horrible. But it, would, it had added this to it. It says, but God withheld judgment for David, his servant's sake. David's obedience to God is passing grace and mercy to undeserving kids 300 years into the future. What are you sending out to the future? Jeremiah 7, verse 22, obey my voice, I will be your God. In John 10, verse 28, here's one you all know. My sheep, hear my voice, and follow me. You know, as a sheep, they follow the shepherd. If you hear the shepherd's voice behind you, you're, you're, you're going to fall in the ditch. We showed a video a few years ago about a shepherd on a ranch in Australia, and he had all these people come. It was recorded. It was kind of funny. And they tried everything to call those sheep. Each one of them came up to the fence and did their thing. Sheep never moved, never raised their head. But when the rancher came up, the shepherd, and lifted his voice, ears went up, turned around, and the whole flock of the sheep went straight for the shepherd. I thought, what a great illustration. A dumb sheep knows the voice of a shepherd. Do we know the voice of our God? See, go back where you left the Lord because there's where you're going to find prosperity. And if you're breathing and you're still in here, that's for you too. 
Go back where you started the disobedience and obey. Deuteronomy 28, I got verse 15 through the end of the chapter, says disobedience brings a curse. Not being fruitful, not prospering. That's a curse mentioned in Deuteronomy 28. Verse 29, you shall be oppressed and plundered continuously, and no one will give to you. See, curses are real. There's an economic curse on believers, not unbelievers, on believers that refuse to honor the Lord with their first fruits or tithe. Now, God loves you. You go into heaven, but the enemy can keep spoiling your harvest. No matter how much you make, the enemy keeps taking it from you. You got this expense showed up and that unexpected cost, and you just get plundered. Why? Because you dishonored the Lord's clear commandment. He said, if you'll do what I tell you, I'll rebuke the devourer. Maybe you ought to try something new, right? Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? And you say, well, Lord, how have we robbed you? God said, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and test me and see if I won't open heaven's windows and bless you with more than you can contain. That's God's promise. See, what, what condition does God promise the blessing? We simply bring the tithe into God's house. What are the results? Prosperity. Rebuke the devourer. God even challenges on that. Try me, he says. Give it a shot. What have you got to lose? Your checkbook is a reflection of your soul. Jesus said in Luke 12, not some tele-evangelist, Jesus. Luke 12, verse 34, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. Your heart's going to follow your money. So look at your checkbook and see where your heart is. New car, 60000 Cruise ship, vacation to Hawaii, 15000 Dog food, pet supplies and shampoo, $200. Tithe, $10. So God says, okay, okay, Sparky. Let that person get passed over for that promotion at work. Send the sale or contractor business that was going to him, send it to the other guy. Shut off the blessing. Let the insects eat that crop. Shut off the rain. They are not going to have a harvest. They refuse to admit it is the Lord that gives them power to obtain wealth. They think it's their own genius. Let's see how smart they feel now. See, folks, listen. Your poverty and mine died at the cross. If you ever get that in your mind, you'll never be the same. In Galatians 3, verse 13, Paul writes, Christ has redeemed all of us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessings of Abraham may come upon us Gentiles in Christ. See, that was a great exchange. There is a major exchange at the cross. Jesus took my sin, gave me forgiveness. He took my death, gave me eternal life. He took my poverty, gave me the blessings of Abraham. He took my sickness, my pain and affliction on the cross and gave me healing. He took my rejection and gave me acceptance. He took me as an outcast and adopted me into his family as a king and a priest I am a child of the king. You are, if you're a believer, the royal blood of heaven is flowing in your veins. Lift your head and shout for joy. You are somebody. At the cross, I received the blessings of Abraham. In Genesis 24, verse 1, it says, The Lord blessed Abraham in all things. I become the seed of Abraham, Galatians says, through faith in Jesus Christ. See, it's about relationship, not race. And Abraham got the blessing of promotion the blessing of possession, and the blessing of dominion. 
Abraham is our spiritual father. He tithed to Melchizedek 400 years before the law was given. In Galatians 3 verse 14, says the Holy Spirit is the administrator of the estate of God's children. So God is our father when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the question is, have you made him your father? So when God becomes your father, all you have to do to prosper is just get out of the way and obey and do what God asks you to do. Jesus exhausted your poverty at the cross. And the curse has fourfold things in it. Number one, hunger. This is Deuteronomy 28. Number one, hunger. Number two, thirst. Number three, nakedness. Number four, lack of all things. So Jesus on the cross was hungry. He had not eaten for 24 hours. He was thirsty. He said, I thirst. And the Romans offered him a liquid painkiller that would have extended his agony. He was hung naked and ashamed. There was no loin cloth on him. He was in want. He had no tomb. He had no burial robe. Christ exhausted the poverty curse of Deuteronomy 28 that we might receive the riches of Abraham. It says, he who was rich became poor that we through his poverty might be made righteous, very rich. So that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now some say, well, that proves Jesus was poor. Well, the only place he was ever poor was on the cross. So he could take that poverty and extinguish it so we could have the riches of Abraham. Now think about this. People are nuts. No, Jesus was poor. Really? He supported 12 disciples. Really? And when he was born and had to flee from the king into Egypt, now what's the dad going to do for work? The wise men gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Anybody get, for your birth present, anybody get gold? He got capitalized for that whole trip into Egypt with gold. Judas carried the money bag from the sponsors of Jesus' ministry from Herod's palace, and many of them are named. And Judas was stealing money, and none of the disciples knew it. Jesus knew it, but none of the disciples knew it. If I lose 20 bucks, I know it. How about you? Poor. They even fought over his, his robe when they took it off of him. They weren't going to tear it. It was valuable. Jesus was not poor. There's no way to believe this Bible and believe you are to live in lack. I do like one thing Jesus did, paying the IRS by going fishing. I like that. Fish have a gold coin in his mouth. <laughs> I know. Well, let's summarize and we're through. Number one, you got two options, poverty or prosperity. Number two, it's God's will for everyone to do well, to prosper. Number three, God's provision is in his promises, his word. Number four, God has given to you what he gives to you and multiplies it 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Number five, God's prosperity is for everybody, everybody, regardless of race, nationality, or your circumstances. Number six, all of God's abundance is available to you through Christ. The curse of poverty was broken at the cross. Number seven, Elijah sowed 12 barrels of water in a drought and got rain for the whole nation. You reap what you sow. Number eight, prosperity comes by obedience to God. Deuteronomy 28, if you will obey. It's your choice. Number nine, tithing is not optional. Refusal as a believer brings an economic curse and the enemy has a right to eat your harvest. Refrigerator breaks down, transmission goes out on the car, something's always eating your harvest. Ah, could it be a curse? For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.